You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. We've got the kiln fired up. We've got the furnace prepped. We're about to unsheath the laser fire of Torah. Yes, Rizcha de Raisa is coming your way. But first, if you own a retail business and accept credit cards, your customers are getting points, miles, and all sorts of rewards every time they use their card. And you're paying the price. That's why NRS Pay, a product of National Retail Solutions, a division of the IDT Corporation, offers its cash discount program, FeeBuster. You can start accepting credit cards for free. If your business processes over $18,000 a month, you pay no monthly fee and $0 out of your pocket for transaction. This means you as a retailer can enjoy the benefits of accepting plastic and your customers still get those crucial miles they crave and need. NRS Pay Fee Buster provides every client with a free credit card reader with no long-term contract, no early termination fee, cancel anytime without a penalty. I'm personally familiar with this company and they truly stand by their product and they'll help you with live stateside-based customer service on any issue or question. Visit nrspay.com or call 833-289-2767 to learn more about NRS Pay and the fantastically fair fee buster. If it's Erev Shabbos Kodesh, this must be Rizcha Daraisa. I'm here with Rabbi Yosef Gabriel Bechofel. I think, you know, we were very serious the last couple of weeks. Let's start in a, something that you told me about, because I get my news from you. It's like like in, in the old days, everybody get their news from Johnny Carson. I get my news from Yosef Gabriel Bechal, because I'm such, I'm so shakua, I'm so nech belakelim. I, yeah. I need you to tell me about what's going on. So you happened to inform me that uh, it was announced this week in Eretz Yisrael that the normal elections or appointments, as it would be, because it's sort of appointed through a, a number of people who elect the chief rabbi, is not going to happen on around Tuba of the way it usually does. So I, I can't believe that around and Tuba of uh, this summer, it's going to be 10 years since Rabbi Yitzhak Yosef and Rabbi David Lau assumed the mantle of the chief rabbinate and the uh, legislation or the, the declaration was done by some sort of minister in uh, in the Knesset. That the Shas minister. The Shas minister, yes. That we're going to push it off because it's too close to the municipal elections. And we don't want there to even seem to be the appearance as if some sort of deal making was going on between the various communities and who they would push for chief rabbi. And therefore, we're going to separate the two and the chief rabbi election will happen, I'm not sure when, some undesignated time in the future, which gives uh, David Lau and Rabbi Yitzhak Yosef a little longer time. Well, Rabbi Yitzhak Yosef has already t- told them he's stepping down, no matter what. So that evidently, if Rabbi Yitzhak Yosef has his way, the office will be vacant. The Friday office will be vacant for those months. I wonder why he's so adamant about that. He says he wants to go back to learn. But now we have to be cynical and uh, assume that anything which is being done is either being done to promote the candidacy of Reb David Yosef or Rabbi Ari Deri's brother. Now, again, we've had discussions about what does it mean to be Roy Chief Rabbi today? It's not exactly what it, it meant in the time of when Chochem Avadia assumed the position or, it, or when uh, Reb Uziel was in the position. So it's, again, it's a very much a toned down political type of position in terms of 
what they need to do. And I'm like, it's more like breaking bottles on a ship uh, than it is actually being machria, difficult shilas and halacha. So the other guy, his name is Rabbi Yehuda Derry. He's the chief rabbi of Be'er Sheva since 1997. Wow. And that's Ari Derry's brother. Yes, and he was a candidate for chief rabbi ready in 2013. Uh, but now it looks like, as you say, Reb Dov and Yosef, I guess I would assume there was a power-sharing agreement between Reb Dov and Reb Yitzchok. As I mentioned here, and I'll stand by it, I'd say if you are my, Reb Dovid is clearly the bigger Talmud Chochem, the bigger cup. And I would assume what he said to look, older brother, you go first, I'll go next. I assume that was what Makes they spent much with each other. They get along well enough with each other, despite the difference in their approaches. And I think I mentioned last time the brilliance and the beauty of the Sefer Lachabura, which, by the way, as the letter I sent to you, backing Reb David Yosef's candidacy, which was signed by, I think, 80% of the Rabbanim were from Chutzlaretz who signed it, many of them from Mexico, who I remember as young boys uh, or young men. But I was so happy that the first thing they mentioned, of course, was his brilliance as a writer in the Sefer Al-Lochabura and how that has already shown that it could stand on its own. He's someone that I have Chalisha Sadas from, or David Yosef. You know, I'm, I'm a Kanye. And look, he's, 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 he's a little bit younger than me, and he's accomplished so much, really. I, I, I found that who he was when he was working on his own edition. I think he was 20-something, his edition of the Perador of the Chuvas Arambam. You know, it's interesting. This, whole, I, this letter is only people who Chutzlaretz. There are no Eretz people. You find Eretz Yisrael Dega people there? No, there's not a single one. It's all Chutzlaretz people. Yeah, strange, isn't it? <laughs> no, yeah, it must be that they, the, probably the Rabbi Eretz Yisrael don't want to get involved uh, because Derry is powerful. So therefore, he would stretch out the Chutzlaretz. I think it also shows how much the chief rabbi is like a traveling diplomat. He's known in all these places. They talk about, oh, he speaks everywhere. And the Peb Mopic, Margolius, and Mamish. I've, I've heard his English is quite good. He must speak, he must speak a little bit of French and, and, and Spanish as well. I mean, it's not surprising. He's, he's a, uh, a brilliant man. I wouldn't be surprised that he could pick up a number of languages. One of these people here is Arava Rashi, Quebec, Canada. Do you know Quebec had Arava Rashi? Why not? Why not? Maybe they want to institute the Grand Sanhedrin over there as well. You know, yeah. we could get back to the old Frenchy days. The point, though, is, is that Rabbi W. Yosef is clearly Roy. But Roy for what? You know, he, he's Roy to be sitting on, on, on the best Nagot of Yerushalayim. But again, here it's Chief Rabbi. Why he wants it so much, I don't know. As you, could, as, as you said before, maybe he feels, you know, this, these, these two things pulling on him. In the, okay, let, let me be honest. He, he, there is a whole puff piece like all they are, all the puff pieces in Mishpacha, you know, uh, about David Yosef and, uh, and, and how he's connected to his father and how he learned from his father to the common man's touch, despite the fact that everything about him is aristocratic, David Yosef, the way he dresses, the way he writes. But he says he's got, he's also tuned into his father's common touch and he understands how to deal with people. And he has a number of stories Beautiful stories, by the way, about his father having a you know a soccer ball that kicked his hat off, and Chacham Avadia didn't get upset at all. Chacham Avadia went over to the boy and invited him to eat shalashidas at his house, and or 
Suta Shlishit, I'm sorry. And then uh, later just told him that he's that all he has to do is come to his shiur next week. And of course, from that soccer ball hit, that boy ended up turning into one of the Gedolei Rashi Kailos somewhere or something else like that. And there's a number of stories like that about the Chokham Avadia would say hello to the person who was parking his car near him on, Sh- on Shabbos. And then that person would become closer to him. And he, he talks a lot from W. Yosef about being raised in Tel Aviv and other areas where they weren't near from people at all. And watching his father, he was able to, he thinks he's able to emulate what his father could do with Chilonim. He believes he has the same ability, he can channel that uh, and continue. Um, Interesting, if you read that article, he came up with the idea, which I thought was quite funny, that that his father... And he would, he would, just like the Baal Shem Tov on Moitzei Shabbos would, uh, and, and other nights, would go out on, on important trips. Hocham Avadia would, would travel to a number of these outposts where there would be these barely religious Jews that would wait, you know, sort of like in, in, in the, whatever sort of soccer stadium, wherever they were waiting for Hocham Avadia to come. And his son came up with the idea that they should helicopter Hocham Avadia in. And Rabbi W. Yosef was the was the warm up act. He would come out there and like you know get them you know to say okay everybody <laughs> right? right and he would give a shear and or whatever it was and they and then his father would descend from Shamayim like uh, like like Elio's Merkava and would come down and would give over his psakim and his jokes et cetera et cetera and. Um, so David Yosef says he's the one who came up with the idea of using the helicopter. So he does have a showman's uh, streak to him. So I guess that maybe explains why he wants this this, this, this stellar so much. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, power and patronage involving the chief rabbi. I don't know that there's any idealism left in it anymore. Hopefully, hopefully there is. But uh, I'm not familiar with Rabbi David Yosef at all. So I, he might be. You should. You should be. Look, his farm are great. And I said it, it's almost like a different league than the Algon Yosef. The amount of McLeiris he brings. And like he says about the way he worked with his father, he said his father didn't want a yes man. I mentioned on this program, and I'll stick to it, that Rabbi Yitzchuk was probably a yes man with his father, which is why his father knew he wanted the brainy, uh, combative, you know, sakran of, of a son called Rabbi David to work with him. On the Achavadas, and also to spearhead, which I, I'm, which I'm very impressed by, uh, the system of, of Dayanim that was started by Chacham Avadia through the presidency of Rabbi David Yosef. Supposedly, two thirds of all the new Dayanim and all these, you know, individual not uh, Dayanim in the uh, system, but Dayanim in all these communities are all coming from this Mossad that was created. Yechavadas for Dionis. And I'll tell you, when I was in Eretz Yisrael in the, in the fall, I bumped into many, many Sephardim who were studying for Dionis. And yeah, look, David Yosef was the vehicle for that. There's no question about it. He's, he's Sholet Bakol and Ashrech Let's talk about the Ashkenazi side. You, you informed me that uh, one of the candidates, can it be? Is he come back from the dead? <laughs> Mayor Kahana? Yeah. He's uh, uh, the dark horse candidate who came from the behind to to win. So, who is this Mayor Kahana? Who the, who is the candidate? Who who is this person? He we went to he went to school. He went to Nativ Mayor. He went to Kriyat Shmona. He went in Eretz Chemda. They're all very strong religious Zionist organizations. Uh, Interestingly, however, when he was trying to put himself into a you know a more uh, broad light, 
We mentioned that one of the Rosh Hashim and Kriyat Shimon came from Hebron, so he also observed the Hebron around us. I looked at his Pesachim from Pisgah Din, and uh, they were pretty normative. There was nothing, um, nothing earth-shattering. He uh, is young. He's younger than the other candidates, and he's not from the mainstream yeshivas. I, I, what I read from the article in Haaretz, and I get the sense from you, is that there is a, a push that the Ashkenazi chief of should not be you know, like a, a Lao clone. It should be someone who we can tell uh, the religious Zionistic stripes should be clear upon them. Someone who, right? Not, not well, some- that was the coalition agreement between Smotrich and uh, Derry, that the Shas gets to choose the Sephardic chief rabbi and the religious Zionists get to choose the Ashkenazi chief rabbi. Now the, the, the Aduta Torah is saying, oh, well, you're pointing at this, your candidate is this Mayor Kahana guy. He's like Rabbi Goran, so we're going to put up our own candidate. And we don't care about whatever agreement you make. In other words, they feel he's too liberal. Yeah, I'm not sure why. I don't see it. I didn't see him talking anything particularly liberal. But uh, clearly, it's just an excuse. Who is this Micha Halevi? Micha Halevi was the one they would have accepted. They claimed would have accepted. He would, they, they chose the chief rabbi Petach Tikva to be their candidate. And they said, they claimed that if it had been Micha Levy, they wanted to put up their own, their own candidate. So you're saying he's the only possibility. Uh, Micha Levy is not, is not possible. Well, uh, 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 they didn't vote for him. But uh, the, the, the real conspiracy theory is that um, they, they, because he's unacceptable, to, it's that it's all a plot. In other words, that they really want Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro. Rabbi oh, Yaakov yeah. Shapiro, the Rosh Hashim Sarab, his father was also chief rabbi. They want him to be the they want him to be son of Rabbi Avram Shapiro, who was the chief rabbi. Right. But he's he is over age because not he can't be over seventy to be a candidate. So they want Likud to make a law. Well, let's make a law. You can only be over seventy to be president of the United States, right? But to be the chief rabbi of Eretz Yisrael, you've got to have that young strength. <laughs> right. It comes before and said, hey, you know, we're reaching the age, you know, we're almost, in a, we aren't going to be eligible for the next. No, year. next election, we won't be eligible anymore. Oh, so that's the reason why Rabbi W. Safe wants in, because he figures now, by the next time, he's going to be too old. So he figures, yeah, now I'll go in. Now, you've now supplied the answer. It's interesting, because the picture I discovered of Michal Levy, he was shaking hands, uh, smiling for the birdie, with uh, someone who looked a little bit not so happy. Uh, the person who was the head of Tsohar, who 10 years ago, uh, his candidacy seemed to have some vibrancy, and it seemed like, you know, it could possibly make it. Again, it was derailed by a number of, you know, Malshinos and other smallness, but that is my old Kavrusa from Ner the first Israeli that I ever really had a relationship with, an Israeli who came to me uh, as a Chavrus in 10th grade, wearing sandalim and with no socks. And we, in his broken English and in my uh, definitely broken Hebrew, we learned together and we were a very good pair and we stayed friends. And that is Harab David Stav, whose father was, I think, in America and employed in some, in some sort of uh, think tank uh, in either Washington, Baltimore area. And that meant that David and his older brother Moshe uh, found themselves in Arius Row for a while. And um, although Moshe went on to have a very a nice career uh, as one of the Rosh Yeshiva and Karen Biyavna, uh, David, his younger brother, my friend, really you know, stayed true to his sort of idiosyncratic ways. 
and, and, and really, you know, stayed very strong in learning, uh, but doing things uh, in, in, in his own way. And he wrote a manifesto about what he felt the chief rabbi should be, that the chief rabbi should, 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 it should stop being the chief placeic. In other words, the chief rabbi should make a difference. The same way David Yosef from David Yosef now says that the Chochem Avadia method will be makar of people to the idea, and it's, it's, the, it's the Chochem Avadia method that he embodies, That's, that can somehow solve the, uh, the terrible infighting that's going on in Eretz Yisrael. Ten years ago, David Stav already said that the communities are so polarized. And what we need is not someone to paskin. We need someone to make Yadus alive. We need someone who can, who can create bridges. And unfortunately, there was such a distrust of people in the black hats, like you saw um, Mayor Kahana wearing, that it's important that, that you dress the part. David Stav is probably, is not a, probably a bigger Talmud Chochem than, than, uh, than Kahana. But David Stav ain't gonna put on the cylinder. You know what I'm saying? He ain't gonna walk around in that hat. Nobody's wearing a cylinder since Rav Unterman. Come on. Okay, but you understand what I mean. He's not gonna go with the. He's, uh, he's not gonna go with the brim, upper brim hat. He's not gonna go with any of that. He is going to be himself. Well, I bet you they made it at night. Going to Maisa, he would do it. You think David Stav would sell? Yes. David Stav is again. Not by Rabbi Avram Shapiro, so it's not as if it's foreign to him. But but he has evolved. He's always been his own person. He's never. He's always been a person who's shemeya and goes in his own way. And I understand that I was his chavrusa and friend, and you had a relationship too. What's your relationship with? Yeah, when I was a, a young youngster in Bnei Akiva in Ramat Eshkol in Israel in eighth in ninth grade, he was my madrich. We were considered to be the frumest sneef of Bnei Akiva in the entire country. Rabbi Yosef, as you know, is you, 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 we never grow tired of hearing the uh, important biography of how you uh, left America, left and my distinguished brother. Don't forget him. Yes, Bruce. You and Bruce left, and you were just in sixth grade. And after sixth grade, you went to Eretz Yisrael to become Muslim and to join the the, the native mayor's. Why well, was Muslim? My parents made Aliyah. Well, we didn't have a choice. Ah, uh, okay. So, but. But definitely, it is one of the most cardinal aspects of who you are is that period. You know, it, it allowed you to to hone your Ivrit style. It allowed you to absorb much of what's going on. It gave you a, a, an gave open me a, eye. It gave me a, a foundation in writing also. Yes. Right. In writing, and an open-eyed understanding of, of, of what's, what is the dynamic of the Jewish society. So even though you came back to finish high school, there was an indelible impression that was left on you through those years in Eretz Yisrael. But it's interesting that not only were you, you know, such a Mitsuyan in the Tiv Mayor, but you also were part of, as was expected, to be part of a boys and girls uh, groups on Shabbos, on Shabbat, of the B'nai Akiva. And I know your father and mother probably encouraged that, right? Well, everybody in Ramat Eshkol who was religious went to Bnei Akiva because uh, that was, uh, the, there was no a radio element in Ramat Eshkol came much later. And people at that day and age, youth movements were still the rage. I don't know if they are anymore. So it was a natural place to gravitate. Do you have any memories of him as your madrich? Uh, oh, uh, oh, I don't remember. My memory of my youth is, is very, very um, fuzzy? Foggy, foggy, fuzzy, foggy, yes. So I don't have any specific memories, which I can impart to you, but I remember that he was very intellectual. 
and he's uh, intellectually stimulating. And so when he you know used to do stuff with us and to speak to us, and uh, he uh, that he was also by the standards of uh, of Akiva, quite from. And and again, you know, Aviner and others have written about what Bnei Akiva should be. But was was there a social aspect there? Did you were you supposed to uh, hang out with the girls after the? Of course, after, of course. So when David Stav or others would 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 talk about subjects with you, was it boys and girls sitting together? Yeah, of course. That's what Akiva was all about. One of the fun things which I used to do is you know bring the tshuva of the sweet age on the mixed mute movements, the famous tshuva and Yishurun in France, and compare and contrast, well, are we doing the right thing? Why aren't we doing the right thing by being a Neakiva? That was a lot of fun. So you read that Shuba when you were 14? Yeah. <laughs> okay, very good. All right. You're, you were a better 14-year-old than I was. I, I didn't know where Jacob Weinberg was in there, Yisrael. The only of Weinberg I knew was Matis at that time. <laughs> I, was hanging, I was hanging around in the Thief Mayer Library, where uh, Moshe Lichtenstein was the librarian, driving him crazy. And I was to try. I looked through. I I looked through Svarn. That's what I did. It was fun. So, so why did and and I'm I'm not going to assume you looked like Brad Pitt. I, I so what? Why was it? What would a kid like you get out of the the sense of the girls? Did you think that you would be attractive intellectually? Girls to the girls were more spiritual than the boys. So you actually liked talking to the girls there. They were much more spiritual. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was all it was all like a spiritual. Yeah, but I don't know. It's probably not all spiritual, but there's the reality is it was they were more spiritual. Girls mature earlier. Girls mature earlier. I think that's part of it. I see. Yes, and they were impressed by your mind. It was not impressed with my mind. You are too. You <laughs> yes. said so. I'm you impressed. I'm impressed with your ambitions. I guess that's all part of that mind that you have. Yes, yes. I mean, I'm. In, I guess I'm impressed. But let's talk about. I just want to get down to the nitty gritty. Did you think you would get girlfriends out of it? Did you think you would get a girlfriend from that? Not really. I mean, I think any of them were possibly marry someday, perhaps, but uh, no, no girlfriends. I was too from. Well, it wasn't going to turn into it that much, but at least you would you would come to recognize girls there. Well, but what about Memphis when you were a young kid? Didn't all the girls and boys hang around together? No, not really. Not really. You oh. know what? So I have to say that because I was a year. Remember, by the time I graduated high school, I was two years younger than the people around. I was a year younger than everybody in my class. I skipped a, a, a grade in yeshiva. So when I was in in my class, I was like this, this small, immature person who, you know, they, yes, I knew that the boys were hanging out with the girls, but I wasn't ever a part of that because I was considered too young. I had to make a name for myself as, you know, as the, the director of the play, as someone who could, who could quote, you know, uh, Dickens and Steinbeck or somebody who could make jokes, uh, you know, at the teacher's expense. You know, whatever it was, I was, you know, I, I, I had to be a different type of creature. So all of this schmooze, <laughs> by my, our dear listeners, is only a setup, a very, very carefully constructed setup. In fact, this whole conversation has been a setup as we get By the to- way, before you go to get that, all these guys who are chief rabbi candidates, Michal Levy, Mayor Kahana, and uh, the other one, Eliezer Igra, they all went through the same path. Right. They all went to they all went to the Tiv Mayor. They all members of Neakiva, just like David Stav. It's some of them have, have put on a frock in Hamburg along the way, but it's all the same path. You see, Lichtenstein went through the same path. You know, Rabbi Yosef Gabriel has a a plethora 
of WhatsApp groups that he's a member of, connected to. And what the newest one for Rabbi Yosef Gavriel, I want, I'm proud to announce, is the old alumni of that Elysian field, Ramat Eshkol, Wonderland of Shabbos, that B'nai Akiva group, that they, through the magic of modern technology and tracing people down, they're able to reconnect, including some of the uh, who are they were young girls at the time. Now they've grown up and they've reached out to you and they want to find out, hey, right? They've 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 written to you in the perfect writ that they speak. Um, and they've they've asked you some questions and it's caused you some soul searching. I left a, a voice message on the WhatsApp group. One of the girls said said he left a voice message back saying, ah. Oh, you speak, but you speak, you speak, uh, uh, you now you even speak Hebrew with an American accent. Aval, you became a real chutznik. <laughs> I thought they were going to say, you sound exactly like you did then. Didn't your voice change? What happened to you? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. <laughs> Why didn't it say that? <laughs> <laughs> you sound like a chutznik. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. It, That's the, the only, I think it's the ultimate stock, right? Like Look, my grandchildren ask me, my grandchildren have only been near to show for less than a year. Ask me, why do you say safta and not safta? <laughs> my my, my <laughs> six-year-old granddaughter says, why are you saying safta and not safta? I, I, you have to say like the Israelis say. So anyway, you're right. Look, that's always going to be something they harp on. It's a mishigas. But you also got some compliments, right? People were were happy to hear from you. I guess they hadn't uh, had their ear to the ground and known where Yosef Gabriel Bechoffer was doing. No, it was like 50, uh, 50, 40 years of blank, I guess. Right. And, and 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 even though your name is plastered everywhere in the Torah world, but not in the B'nai Akiva world, that they ended and up so much in Israel. Yeah. And they continued it. So it's it's really weird, isn't it? I mean, to get a uh, a WhatsApp nod from someone you haven't seen in, uh, you know, going on 50 years now. And like, what do you say to somebody? I mean, clearly you haven't worked to try to 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 catch up, and she hasn't worked to catch up on you. Uh, you were very moved by one of the questions that she asked you. Well, first of all, it's interesting, before we get to that, that um, I sent the pictures of um, my taking my classes uh, to the Holocaust Museum in Muncie. And one of, the, one of the people asked, you know, how do you deal with the Holocaust from a, a Muna aspect as a Haredi person? And it's interesting that uh, I don't know if that person who asked me a question was uh, from today, but I gave a whole, uh, you know, sh- uh, discourse on what I say about the Holocaust. And um, it take you know, much to get you to discourse. Yeah. No, it takes very little to get me to discourse. And at the end, uh, they, he thanked me very much. And he said, I was very impressed by the facts that I'm willing to give over a broad array of opinions as to how to approach the Holocaust. So, so in other words, do you think that these, and, and, and I'll give them credit that they were probably, as you say, you know, an interested and, and, and fertile young minds at the time. So you didn't just want to take this as, hey, how's it going? Like a social hello. You, you're actually, in a way, looking to, as you reach the third act of your life, I guess, to try to present yourself in a serious way towards them, in a way that's, that, that's layered with meaning. As we try to represent HaKadosh Baruch Hu in every forum in which we can, why not this one? Right. And, and you got another question, too, that also got you thinking. Yeah, she asked, uh, this one girl asked me if I, Imani Mushar uh, Bachayim. The question struck me as something which we don't ask ourselves. It could be because I'm half Yeka, half Litvak. I don't know if Chassim even asked themselves a question. 
uh, whether we're Mushar. Mushar is very hard word to translate, as we both of us before the program tried to pin down a good translation. There really isn't one good translation for Osher with an olive. But I don't think we think of those terms. We think, uh, I think we're trained the yeshiva to think about whether we're steiging, whether we're accomplishing in this world, not about uh, Osher. And Osher is not the same thing as Simcha. One could be in Simcha and not be Mushar at the same time. So even though there seems to be a contradiction in terms, I don't think it is. So I don't know, uh, and certainly old curmudgeons like us, are we supposed to feel mushar? Well, you know, David HaMelech, who barely became an old curmudgeon, uh, constantly spoke about, you know, the that that reaching that state of being ashray, right? You know, how many times does that word appear in Tilm? I think an incredible amount of times versus the rest of uh, Sifrei Kodesh. It sounds like it was something David HaMelech strived for. Yes. Uh, you mentioned to me, and again, we've talked about the sort of off-the-wall philology of Hirsch, but can sometimes strike a chord. Uh, you mentioned that Hirsch connects it to uh, the Pesach of Chesh Razmayim, right? Chesh Razmayim. Chesh Razmayim Avesh which is, which is the idea of like water bursting out of a cloud is somehow being mushar. It's like, like every the potential has been reached and the rain is coming and it's like the like feeling the rain the farmer the cup runneth over so that's sort of being mushar I, I really thought the question was especially remember the, who the cares term- why the question was asked whatever question however question was intended it struck me as a question but uh, uh this is uh but this is a uh, uh, something which i think i would like to pose a question not just to you but to everybody listening to this program, what does it mean to be mushar? Yeah, in other words, satisfied is is usually the way it's described. The satisfaction, yeah, with, but something more than satisfaction. Yeah, well, well, as we know, like it sounds like you know you're echoing uh, Jagger when you're saying you know you can't get any satisfaction that basically you, know, you are <laughs> you are striving. And the truth is, Chazal say something like that, which I think appeals to both of us. Right, we even have the idea of the Vilna Gaon saying, you know, can be that brute. I want to, I want to put sitzes on. There's, there's a, a sense, as you say, whether it's Lithuanian or not, that that I'm pushing towards something. But as Rav Gershon Adolfshin said over many times, and I read it this week, is that even in the, uh, even in the drisha, even in as you're trying to get there, you should be sensing the simcha of of, of trying to accomplish. Right. <laughs> He says, "Why does it say Ismach Levakshi Shem? Not you were looking for your wallet. You're happy. You found it. You're happy when you found the wallet. You should say Ismach Levmotze Hashem." But he says, obviously, the same idea, which is that the the simcha is in the quest. If you have, and it's very Victor Frankl. If you have a meaningful quest, that is what makes you happy. It makes you feel meaning in life. Right, and therefore, it's almost I would say is that called Osher? But I think we artificially set a certain goal of dissatisfaction in order to keep that quest going. And the quest itself, of course, is Mesameach. It's the same thing, and I've, saw, I've talked about this often, that animate many of us and animate people in other fields too. Fred Astaire was the ultimate dancer. And yet he would wake up at four o'clock in the morning, go down and, and take new steps, figure something out. He would, he would work like slavishly to be able to to figure out one more pirouette, one more move that would that would be able uh, to show himself even better. 
So everyone in their field or, or Tom Brady getting there at three o'clock in the morning and watching film in order to be able to, to be the best quarterback he could be on the next Sunday, all of that type of, are they Mushar? <laughs> They're at the top of their game. They are, they, you can see the smile on their face when, of course, they win or when, not say, or when you're finished saying the sheer. But that doesn't mean that you sit on your laurels. So, again, maybe. Well, I don't think Tom Brady can be Mushar if he went through such a nasty divorce, you know, whichever the whole world knows about every detail of it. Because you know why? The divorce was a sim that was made. What really drove him was his competitive nature to win. And, and, and to be able, along with his mentor, to be able to be menatzeach. That challenge was adrenaline. And the same thing is true, I think, for people who are involved in learning, people involved in whatever field they are. So to be, to, to, the people who are, have, have lost that, it's almost like, like the Gemara says in Sanhedrin, that when they took away the Yitzra uh, Darais, so there was a lack of, there was a lack of creativity everywhere. Now, a Yetzer, the whole point of the Yetzer is to, yeah, yeah. is to tantalize you towards something, right? It's it's Mitzayer to you, as the Malbim says, to Atsur of a Dimion of something to achieve. Somehow, Ma'usher is something a little bit different, and maybe it's satisfying yourself. And it's got to be a good, that's what I'm saying, it's also got to be just because you raised this, like this, like this, uh, Tom Brady, it has to be a Gestalt. In other words, you can't just say, oh, I'm Ma'usher on the playing field if I'm not Ma'usher in the other areas of my life. Right. Well, as we saw, the Malbim says when we you showed it to me before we started recording that it's actually like like Leah's meant when Usher was born, she conceived of it as a total spiritual and physical uh, air aspect of completeness and uh, satisfaction everywhere. And look, listen, we shall, as I said, wish all of you <laughs> to try to have a to live a chayim mushorim. But I do want to mention though, it struck me. In my weird association, when I was asked a question, is that Dr. Revel, the first, uh, you know, the president of Yeshiva University, it says that I have a book about him. They put out a Denu, and it says that he would go around the corridors of YU, Shiba College, and I'm asking, how's the year of Shemayim today? <laughs> so maybe, according to you, we really didn't want to get an answer. That's what you're saying. Or sometimes a comment is just a comment. Sometimes, I, I think in many ways, especially after a number of years, certain assumptions are made. Like, are you happy in life? Like, it's been so many years that the person has never tried to contact you. What should, what should she say? Should she say, uh, show me a picture of your dog? I mean, what is, it that, like, what is it that's going to, in a way, make up and still capture somewhat the seriousness of what your connection was, but still show a, a, a modicum of interest? So take care, everybody. We'll catch you again next week. Watch out. Rabbi Yosef might be trolling you somewhere over there on Facebook. Remember, be careful what you ask him. Be well. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. Music.